0: Sorry if I cough occasionally during this presentation. I'm full of hot air. I just had some food. Um, So, I'm standing out here in the cold next to my car because I'm so excited. I wanted to tell you about this uh, while it's still fresh in my mind and I'm full of hot air. Um, Rather than doing it in a nice warm car with the heater going. So, this is all about Nathan Stubblefield's heater we have a story that comes to us from the people who found his dead body in his cabin the door the cabin door was locked from the inside he was starved to death he had starved to death and a few days prior to this um they went looking for him because they hadn't seen him for a few days so they found him dead in his cabin living on somebody else's property who let, let him use that little shed or shack or whatever he was uh, staying inside of and he was continuing his experiments and I believe it was electrostatic in nature although I think he used mig- migratory current and eddy currents to later in this particular example um, to affect results so he was not focusing on on the expenditure of current like we do <clears throat> all of our motors you know our all of our coils in our electric motors inside our electric cars and whatnot on the compressor in our refrigerator in our ac comp- uh, compressor uh forced air heating in our homes if we are lucky enough to live in a ha- home with forced air heating all of it are energy hogs because they consume a massive amount of current and of course they need a minimum voltage to operate so you get a wattage and you get an expense and you pay through the nose to the power company if you're not independent of the grid um, or supplemental at, at, at any rate <clears throat> so Nathan Stubblefield's system was an electrostatic system based on the earth and so he didn't do anything see current is there's a danger to current you can fry things you can um, fry yourself. Um, The um, electric chair that they use sometimes in prisons to kill uh, inmates uh, when it comes time they decide to kill them is current-based, and this is something Thomas Edison gave us. You can look it up. It was a war between DC and AC, between Edison and uh, Tesla. Tesla won the war, but in the Edison did get something out of it the notoriety of inventing the electric chair because <laughs> he fried elephants he fried he fried a lot of thing, uh, creatures, living creatures with high current and Tesla used almost no current <clears throat> and uh, certain frequencies and managed to make his body glow and it freaked out the audience <laughs> he connected himself Says, see there's nothing wrong with AC <laughs> oh I love it Um, But that's because he adjusted it to service his argument, while Edison readjusted it the opposite way to service his own agenda. Now, Nathan Stubblefield worked with the Earth energies and didn't do anything um, that would um, impose itself, a man-made footprint, shall we say, upon the earth. We talk about carbon footprints. Well, how about electrical? <laughs> We've got massive amounts of electrosmog in the earth because we ground all of our appliances to the earth and in some cases we use the earth as a return line saving on the copper for not uh, putting up copper return lines on the uh, transmission grid, power grid, <clears throat> in rural areas in particular. <clears throat> well, he tried to go to New York Um, when his wife was still with him and his kids, to get uh, investors to invest in this telluric uh, telephony system, Uh, 26 miles, utter clarity, uh, through the earth, powered by the earth. And he couldn't work the system because it did not work, because of all of the traffic, the electro-smog traffic congestion in the earth placed by... The electric grid, the utility grid, and appliances and whatnot, the network in New York City. So he went home, his wife left him, took the kids, and he continued, like any good genius does, to invent. Or any bad genius. You know, you, once you uh, get on a roll, you can't stop because it's, it's like a roller coaster ride, it's utterly gleeful to create new ideas and concepts and new inventions in particular. Even artists do the same thing. Uh, what's his face? Uh, P- uh, Picasso. He, You know, there there was a mathematician who, who died of a heart attack while he was bouncing his grandchild on his knee. I don't know. It might have been Euler. It might have been somebody else. And doing a math problem in his head all at the same time he died of a heart attack. I mean, geniuses don't stop working. They just keep. Keep working until they drop dead. Anyway, so (laughs) there's no, they don't know the word retirement. (laughs) It it would be utterly boring. It would be a prison sentence. It would be awful for a genius. Are you kidding? (laughs) So Nathan Stubblefield continued to invent, and one of the intriguing things they found was two polished metallic plates inside his cabin emitting heat. Now, when we combine that with the fact that He died and we know inside, uh, because the door was latched from the inside, they had to break the door down to get inside. And he starved to death. death. Those two facts, starving to death and the cabin was warmed by this heater that (laughs) he left running when he died. So why would somebody starve to death in the heat, in a sauna, in a beautiful warm little cabin? Heated by the earth's energies. Because he was in bliss. He had told the people, his friends or associates, before he died, a few days before, I have fulfilled my life's dream or purpose, whatever it was. I can't remember which. And that told me that he was blissfully fulfilled. And that's why he died in his cabin. Because he was full of bliss, full of uh, fulfillment. You know, despite all the hardships of losing his family and the heartaches of not becoming commercially successful, um, he did have a patent and it's still there in the public domain. <clears throat> doesn't tell us a whole lot. The stories tell us more. Um, so it intrigued me for quite some time how this damn thing worked, this heater. And it still intrigues me how they found when they approached his cabin, it was in the dead of night, there are no street lights because this is somebody's farm so it's pitch black and yet there was light coming from all directions from no direction in particular ambient light it was as if the air molecules were ionized and emitting light in all directions the arc lanterns that he used to use that were connected by only one wire to his power supply it was a one wire system which tells you his entire system was electrostatic at its foundation regardless of all of the minor deviations due to migratory current that he took advantage of, and I'm going to tell you um, eddy currents that he took advantage of in his heater, but be that as it may, Um, the lanterns were not in operation anymore. And their wire that was uh, no longer being energized, um, ran their single wire ran from the lantern, ...to the power station underneath the old oak tree... ...that he had the lantern hanging from one of the limbs of that oak tree. So he had the power stations buried... That ...that is what his patent uh, shows us... ...buried under the roots of an old oak tree... ...for one year before he made use of that power station. He probably had several. <clears throat> now, here comes the kicker for this recording... ...and the reason for opening up this new space on Cora. ...devoted to Nathan Stubblefield's Heater. Um, I should probably... No, the title of this recording will be that... ...but the title of the space will be Nathan Stubblefield's Technology... ...or Nathan Stubblefield Technology, something along that line. Um, So, this is my guess. And this is all due to... I can thank Mitko Gorgiev for this type of insight... ...because without him I wouldn't have been able to think along these lines... <clears throat> at all <laughs> to make sense of stubblefield all speculative i have not built this it's i got a premonition yesterday while i after i dropped off a client while driving um and i haven't tested it but in my brain you know creating a scenario visualizing it it makes sense now there's something called the right hand rule which i only partially understand or comprehend ...or accept or believe in. Um, I understand the the, the fact that um, the electrostatic field um, emanating from an energized, let's say, piece of wire... ...a straight wire, the electrostatic field that it creates is going to be at right angles to the magnetic field that it creates. I understand that because Eric Dollar does a superb job of explaining it. He states that the magnetic field rings the piece of wire in orbit around it. And I I'm, would imagine there are various lines of magnetic force in orbit at various distances from the wire of different intensities. And they're all spinning in the same direction. Let's assume for the moment that the wire is energized with a DC voltage uh, source. And it has current going through it uh, from the source and then back, to, looping back to it. But for the moment, w- we have a stretch of this wire that's straight. So we have uh, rings, multiple, innumerable (laughs) rings of magnetic lines of force in orbit around this wire. And then we have electrostatic lines of force, which one line of that force terminates on the wire. And the other... um, hmm, It's a good question. Where does the other end go? I guess what happens is, if you divide the line based on the distance between the two terminals of the voltage source at a midpoint, then you're gonna have uh, lines of force curling back to the wire, creating a kind of loop in a sense, but these are electrostatic, the wire is insulated, um, because one half of the wire is going to be more positive than the other half, which is going to be more negative, depending on which half of the wire is connected to which terminal of the voltage source, the DC battery, let's say. so um, so the electrostatic lines of force terminate on the wire but it it depends on the polarity of the wire the position of the wire where it terminates which determines where and which end of the electrostatic line of force where does it connect and which end of the the electrostatic line of force intersects with that wire Um, otherwise it would Actually, we also have electrostatic lines of force which connect with the wire at one terminus and go out into space and connect with all the other particles of matter in the universe in creation with the other terminal end of that electrostatic line of force. And that's quite significant because space is a singularity. I hold it to be a singularity. It's not curved like Einstein says or the physicists of our day. It is a singularity which means it has no shape, it has no boundaries, it has no um, space. You know, the, the funny thing about the word space is it, it, it's supposed to mean a space, like a distance. Yet because I hold it to be a, a singularity, there is no distance on the inside. The distance is created by particles of matter and, uh, you know, that are energized that are separate from each other that creates the illusion of space. But otherwise, if it wasn't for the existence of matter, we wouldn't know uh, that space has space. It would simply be a compressed singularity, kind of like what the physicists hold to be um, prior to the Big Bang, which I don't believe in. Because it's really, the Big Bang in all of its stages is really the continuing existence of creation Happening simultaneously not in sequence like they state If anything blows up its novas and supernovas, but not the universe don't walk that way matter and in, in energized matter coexists with space all the time there never was a time <clears throat> when matter and energy did not exist. There never will be a time when it does not exist. It always has to exist because you cannot create or destroy energy. You can expand and, and contract it, its amplitude, but you cannot. Um, at, but within the boundaries of what the valence electrons of bonded atoms will allow for, or excuse me, of <laughs> of atoms, will, uh, ionized atoms will allow for that are bonded. Into a solid piece of, let's say, copper metal that's been smelted, but you're not gonna. Um, <clears throat> but you have to always. Okay. So, but but if we consider space by itself, in our head, an artificial, a mental construct of human intervention, then we see that space is a singularity with no boundaries and no space content inside of it other than the illusion of space content inside of it created by the particles of matter which are all energized that are inside of the singularity known as space. So, because I consider it a singularity, I'm looking at it from a cosmic scale because this is the way the uh, Almighty would see it. And so I'm giving you his view of his creation, the spatial portion of it, that that's the way he sees it. It's a singularity. Okay, I'm not limited by uh, the creature limitations of our five senses because I don't allow my five senses to completely dominate the programming of my brain. <clears throat> I allow my brain to think creatively whatever it wants, <laughs> in whatever direction it wants to go. Anyway, getting back to Nathan Stubblefield. So we have the right-hand rule, <clears throat> which I don't entirely understand, but it makes sense at least that the... Um, The electromagnetic fields uh, lines of force and the electrostatic lines of force are at right angles to each other because they are. That's the only way they can function. And they are the two primal forces of nature (coughs) um, that go to construct electricity. So we say – but we define them as the properties of electrical reactants, namely capacitive reactants giving us the electrostatic lines of force – and inductive reactants, which gives us the magnetic lines of force. But these lines of force already exist in the ether, in counter space, in the field of imaginary numbers uh, governed by the square roots of of negative ones, times, uh, whatever else. Um, Because this is where the three gunas lie. The creation, maintainer, and uh, destruction operators known in physics or Satwa Rajas, and Thomas, known in the East, in Eastern Vedic um, lore, <clears throat> governed by three deities, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And these three gunas, these three um, operators of creation, are in the ether. They are not something you can prove or disprove. And when Michelson and Morley looked for the ether, or the, the results of the ether, uh, wind, drift a hundred years ago, they were looking in space for the evidence of it, and it's kind of hard to look in this space because you're not going to find the ether in space. Um, You'll find the effects of the ether, but you won't find the ether itself in physical space because it's a non-physical or counter-spatial, as Eric Dollard likes to put it, phenomenon. Um, Governed by, um, well that we have to infer or take on faith and this is where science turns an ugly curl because they can't accept anything on faith they want to prove everything but you can't prove the source of creation's existence now in Ayurveda I have to give you all this background I'm sorry you're just gonna have to be patient with me in Ayurveda when you do pulse diagnosis of an individual you're not looking for the pulse rate you're looking for the three doshas and they are metaphorically symbolized by uh, the Vata-Pitta-Doshas, uh, Vata-Pitta-Kappa-Doshas, Kappa-Doshas are s- s- metaphorically symbolized by uh, a snake for Vata-Dosha, a frog for the Pitta-Dosha, and Kappa for the, uh, excuse me, swans for the Kappa-Dosha. Now the Vata-Dosha are the brainiacs like me. You tend to go way out of alignment more often than not with worrying and and whatnot and thinking uh, too much and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Pettidoshas are like Alfred Hitchcock. They might be flush red. They get angry very easily. They can't stand tomatoes and acidic things and um, they're very active. They're very physical, very uh, into bodybuilding and whatnot. Exercise. Kapha dosha are lazy, over obese people who are jovial and easy to get along with uh, and they can't uh, wake up in the morning and <laughs> you get the picture. Um, <laughs> um, but the doshas are the blends resulting from the three gunas. So when we take any uh, two gunas and combine them, and there are three combinations possible, we get the three doshas. Now when you have a primary when you have a parent wave of let's say 10 cycles per second, a sine wave and you have another parent wave of 20 cycle cycles per second, sine wave and you blend them you get a daughter wave of a beat frequency or harmonic <clears throat> of the two parent waves now this daughter wave is a, is a reality in the sense that it will affect reality in ways that the parent waves cannot do. But aside from that, it's kind of like a, the cam uh, cam um, conversion, the cam drive conversion in our automobiles, our gasoline engines, in which we have a conversion from the reciprocating force of the pistons converted into the rotary action uh, delivered to the uh, transmission of our vehicles. And it's a beautiful phenomenon which is illustrated by Eric Lethwaite and on a vi- in a video uh, a magnetic currents i think is the title of the video and it was done in the seventies and it comes out of the college that he taught at um... There, there's a youtube channel in the name of the college i can't remember the name of the college but uh, it's a beautiful video he has these rods all lined up and he has a screw underneath it and he has a sphere with two uh... rails on either side to guide it along the top edge of that single line of lineup of rods and as he turns the screw underneath the rods go up and down and they look like a sine wave and because the ball is there it moves the sine wave forward because the rods are acting in a domino fashion and that's an illustration of the cam conversion in our automobiles and this is how he says that a magnetic field works the ripple uh, running down the wire is not a movement of energy. At best, you'll get a migration maybe of a little bit of current, but not the kind of movement that the ripple affects. The ripple is simply a pattern in which various atoms of copper in that wire are becoming energized and elevated in their energy level and then dropping in their energy level in sequence like dominoes, sufficient to make it look like a pattern of ripple is running down the wire of information concerning the energy states of all the atoms in the wire, not the movement of energy. It's the movement of information. And yet, it manages to create a magnetic field that moves and can rotate our electric motors or move our linear motors. And he he continues to demonstrate that in his video, Magnetic Currents. It's the name of the video on YouTube. Eric Lathwaite, L A T H. W a i t e t e, beautiful man, now deceased. Unfortunately, in his ability to, like Eric Dollar, to explain complicated phenomenon in a very simple way that we can, a child can understand. Even if the child can't understand the electricity, they can certainly understand the mechanics of electricity as he teach as he uh, presents his demonstrations. So, <clears throat> we have this mathematical fiction, which it can be mathematically modeled, but it's a fiction because it's simply a pattern in our brain that we recognize as either a geometric fic, you know, an, um, occurrence, or we can mathematically model it, but it's still a concept, it's an idea, and yet it manages to convert reciprocating motion into rotary motion in the case of a cam drive. It's amazing. So, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so we get the two parent waves creating the daughter wave, and the daughter wave is is another fiction. It does not exist, yet it affects reality in ways that the parent waves cannot do. This is what's so uncanny. So, the daughter wave is simply a third wave created by the two parent waves that is... um, inside the parent waves. I mean, where else are they going to be? Or in the field of the parent waves, where else are they going to be? But it's created because of their interaction with each other. So they're not a pure sine wave anymore. Now they're a little muddied. (laughs) That's really where the daughter wave exists, because it is an illusion to think it has its own existence apart from the parent waves. Turn off the parent waves and the daughter wave goes with them, dies. But it's there in the fields of the parent waves, and it's a daughter wave, it's a blend. It's, an, it's it's a pattern it's, it's an anomalous informational pattern intelligent pattern now where was I going with this illustration <clears throat> um, that's a good uh, question I, I made a tangent if I listened to the recording again I'd remember where I <laughs> went off base here oh shit um, um, oh doshas So the doshas result from the gunas blending with each other and the doshas do not exist apart from the gunas. They are a dirtying of the gunas so that we don't have pure gunas anymore. They are sullied by their interaction with each other. And the doshas exist within the gunas but the gunas exist in the ether, in counter space, in the field of imaginary numbers and all of this is hearsay because you have to take it on faith. But it's, it satisfies the criteria stated by Eastern philosophy that all of what we see, touch, taste, feel, hear, smell, blah blah blah, our so-called physical existence is an illusion. It is the result. It is the field of the doshas governed by the doshas, alone, which are nothing more than the combinatorial um, interactions of the three gunas. So, the doshas are in physical, so-called physical space, the concrete world, which we take to be real, but it's an illusory uh, resultant of the blending of a world that we cannot see, that we can only imagine and take on faith. Can you imagine how ridiculous that all sounds coming from a scientifically minded individual like myself who is also intuitive? I understand these things uh, these ideas coming from the east and I see exactly how it blends with the west. So Rudyard Kipling, you can roll in your grave for all I care. For you said in all the Mow- in the Mowgli stories, you know, the little Mowgli boy, uh naked boy running around in the jungle uh, befriending the black cougar or what? no excuse me the black panther and various other animals in the forest <clears throat> in the opening preface in your book you said east is east west is west and never the twain shall meet well boy are you wrong <laughs> Well, because I just proved the scientific explanation or the scientific point of view shall we say explanation of maya But it's not pure science anymore, it's science blended with religion, with religious belief, with religious conviction and that must curl the toes of some pure scientist, but you cannot remain a pure scientist, fellas. It's not going to work. If you want to grow in your knowledge at some point you're going to have to have some belief system of your own, different than mine, whatever you want, but you're going to have to have it because that's the only way you can deal with the ether. You have to take it on faith that something is causing the effects we see in the physical plane that cannot be, the causation cannot be found in the physical plane, in the physical concrete world. It's not there. Trust me, you won't find it sometimes because it's not there. It's coming directly from the ether, from counter space, that we have to take on faith. And Descartes named imaginary numbers imaginary out of derision, because he thought it was ridiculous to believe in a mathematical fiction that it should have any value. And that's the way I felt in high school when they first taught us imaginary numbers. I hated them. I'm not, not going to take that on faith. Well, now I have to. Because when you see electrical dynamics in its entirety, and the universe is an electric universe, <laughs> there's everything in the universe, neutron bombs, everything can be explained electrically and replaced with totally electrical systems, which puts into question whether or not quantum mysticism really exists or is true. It may just be a hijacking of electrical reactants um, sequestered into the fields of the physicists for their playing around with and their government grants, taking it away from the lone electrical inventor in his garage who wants to explain what he's invented in cosmic terms in atomic terms. He won't be able to, because nobody will believe him. Oh, he'll do it to himself, but he'll think the thought to himself like I do, but nobody will believe him, like nobody believes me, like nobody believes the guy up in uh, Canada who inherited his father's, um, the uh, well, inherited the technology of a bunch of scientists back in the 60s, who's, and his father financed it for the most part, and it works, it's over unity, and it gives you refrigeration for free, it's called cold heat from Canada but nobody believes them because they, uh, they're, they're programmed to think that conservation of energy is a law. It's not a law. It's void for vagueness on its face because it's too vague to be worth – or me- it's, it's a meaningless statement. There's no distinction between kinetic energy or versus potential energy in that phrase, conservation of energy. Which energy are we talking about? A coil of wire does not unwind itself and change its inductance in the course of using it in our electric motors, and our electric cars, and that's a potential form of energy. So is frequency, so is capacitance. And I can use those three things to change the amplitude of kinetic energy. So I can't create or destroy kinetic energy, but I can make it shrink or expand like the Ant-Man in Marvel comics, to any degree imaginable, any, using infinity as one asymptotic limit that it can never be reached, or zero as another asymptotic limit that can never be reached, and anything in between those two asymptotic limits goes. So I get a little incensed when I have to talk about the subject and expose some of the lies, just some of the laws of physics. But I have to do it. It's my duty as a truthmonger to speak the truth as I know it and expose the lies. I don't care whose toes I'm, t- I'm, I'm treading on. I don't give a shit. It has no meaning to me whatsoever. So if I bring down the house, so to speak, good riddance to whatever I bring down and destroy as a consequence. Because damn it, it's time it happened already. It was foretold decades ago that I would do this one way or another. And boy, unless I die before it happens or get end up a catatonic in a mental institution with drool drooling out of the corner of my mouth, one way or another I'm going to do it because I can't stand lies, living under a lie. So for scientists to continue in their craft, they have to become a blending of scientific priests or priestly scientists if you prefer. There's no other way you can continue your evolutionary development at this stage point in time, for the last century or more, since the days of Oliver Heaviside or thereabouts. Actually, it's a little earlier than that. It was somewhere around the time of the Civil War, a little before, possibly, when we came up with, um, uh, what was that stage lighting technique? Well, when we started making headway in electrical theory, I guess it started with Michael Faraday, I suppose. So that's the, what the early 1800s or the late 1700s, or maybe uh, you want to go back to Ben Franklin. You know, I don't know where it starts, but it starts a ways back. Anyway, <clears throat> so for the matter at hand, <clears throat> how did Eric? Uh, excuse me. How did Nathan Stubblefield heat his cabin with two polished plates of metal? And they're not. The story doesn't say they're connected to anything. Whether or not they're connected to anything, well, you know what? They're not. They are electrically disconnected. Floating plates, floating plates, capacitive plates, spaced just the right distance from each other, but held in parallel to each other in the middle of his cabin, heating his cabin, toasty warm. How does that happen? Well, there are eddy currents in those plates. Well, where did they come from? They came from the loops, or excuse me, the semi-loops, the almost loops, of aerials or Transmission aerials in the wall, uh, uh, in two opposing walls of his shack. At right angles, the plane of those semi loops, they're almost loops because they have to be electrostatic, so they cannot be loops and create a, uh, a looping uh, current of their own. But they have to be in the shape of an almost loop in order to impart a nice, spacious electrostatic field to his cabin of opposing polarities on opposite walls of that cabin now the placement of these semi loops are at right angles there p- the plane that goes through those semi loops are at right angles to the plane of each of those um polished metal plates that's the secret behind his heater he creates eddy currents the currents heat up the, me- the metal sheets they put off uh, they warm the air molecules in his cabin, and by convection it rises to the surface, to, uh, excuse me, to the top of his, to the ceiling of his cabin, and cold air rushes in from underneath, cooler air, and he gets a nice convective uh, here, running in his cabin. But it's driven by electrostatics, at right angles, to utilize the right-hand rule of electrodynamic theory. Okay? Meanwhile, his two opposing um, semi-loops are connected to a capacitor, a Leyden jar, somewhere, or a series of Leyden jars, parallel series, I don't know, holding a charge, but more significantly creating polarization so that one semi-loop will be opposite charge to the other of a significant enough charge to create a significant amplitude of a electrostatic field, a polarized electrostatic field, Within the domain of his cabin, centered with the dividing line where that, <laughs> this or centered with the dividing point in the center of those two polished plates. So everything had to be counterpoised, very, um, you know, with finesse, <laughs> with attention to detail. But its simplicity at the utmost. I mean, this is what's so elegant about Nathan Stubblefield. That guy was a super genius. That guy worked with nature in such a way that he did not harm nature at all. Unlike us, we pollute, electrically pollute all the time, everywhere, and yet he didn't. He worked with nature, and so that's, I bet, the way Atlantis operated. Because, as I was, as I was told, so to speak, when I read the Lemurian publications put out subsequent to um, a book that was written. Uh, And the title, uh, 1899 it was published, the uh, the title was um, An Earth Dwellers Return, Alternate Title, A Dividing of the Way, something like that. Um, The author is uh, Phylos the Tibetan, P-H-Y-L-O-S, who lives on Venus apparently. And the amanuensis, who did all the writing in a trance state, had no idea what he was writing, was a 22-year-old by the name of Frederick S. Oliver who died in the year of 1899-ish. And so the book was pu- uh, published uh, posthumously by his mother, uh, by an L.A., uh, Los Angeles publishing house, who changed the t- uh, certain sections of the book to sell more copy. And he created this idea of the soul mates. Oh, there's only one person who's your soulmate, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Well, a soul's mate is really... Um, Well, there's no such thing because the soul is a bridge between the guardian angel, the higher self, who's already enlightened, uh, the divine being, um, and uh, the lower self, which is you and I, um, paired off with that higher being and who is already enlightened. And our task is to gain total empathy, both heart and mind, with that higher self through the bridge of the soul because the soul is an extension of the higher self who doesn't want to extend himself into this world, or also become like us. So he stays where he is, in a perfect divine form, and we don't have to become enlightened. All we have to do is become one with ourself, in all that that implies. And when we become fully integrated with ourself, then we can say we have access to that divine guardian angel that is our true self and think with a cosmic oriented perspective and be cosmically oriented so that when the body dies we we've been given a body of space a singularity that is non-corporeal space never changes it's only the matter and energy inside of it which changes and we just step aside from our physical uh, human form and let it die and go on immortal with our space body. This is what humans can do. They can contact the essence of God, which in the world as we know it is the two aspects of space, physical space and uh, the the illusory physical space, and the causation, which is not illusory, which is counter space, the ether. The ether is not illusory, even though we have to take it on faith. It's the, the physical space that we can see that we don't take on faith, that is the illusion. That's how backwards everything is and how inverted. Anyway, the purpose of this recording is specifically the heater of Nathan Stubblefield. But in order for you to appreciate how my brain works, I have to give you all this background information so you can get a taste of my perspective, how I cook up these ideas. They don't just come out of thin air. They come because I've studied the subject for a while and I'm ready... ...to go the next step and go, aha. And it's totally speculative on my part. I haven't produced this to test it. But it's so simple, so elegant, I just couldn't wait. You know, I've got other ideas I want to test out first. But this one, I did not want to wait. Um, I just <laughs> i don't know when I'll be able to stop my squirrel cage constant running of... Uh, you know, day world every day, morning to night. I got to make a buck and pay the bills, you know, because <laughs> I like to eat, and I like to eat good food, which tends to be expensive. Good healthy stuff from the health food store. That's my restaurant. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry, it's funny. Um, I do get healthy things from the regular commercial supermarkets, too, on occasion, but um, a lot of my... Uh, healthy proteins come from the uh, vitamin section of the health food store. You know, gelatin, collagen, uh, rosemary leaf powder, uh, laminaria seaweed, um, what else, Uh, ground uh, chia seed. Um, You know, all these um, powdered proteins are um, high priced. They don't come cheap. Anyway. So, that's my insight and I wanted to share it with you and I hope it I entertained you at the very least I hope I educated some of you and I hope some of you will try to build it you'll probably build it before I get the chance (laughs) and um, see if it works whether or not you let the rest of us know that's your business Uh, keep it to yourself for all I care Um, Nathan Stubblefield sure did (laughs) if it wasn't for the people breaking into his cabin we wouldn't have known about this so we have on-the-scene reporters, you know, on-the-street journalists uh, giving us this report of what they saw to the extent that they could comprehend um, and, we, and leaving us to try to figure it out and pick up the pieces where they left off. Anyway, that's the best I can do. So I hope you enjoyed it. Ta-ta. Until next time.